Hello, I'm Karen Filipkowski, and this is Old New Borrowed Blue, a monthly podcast produced by the Madawaska Valley Public Library and delivered on the Opiongo Line. It's made here in Barry's Bay from where we serve the good people of the township of Madawaska Valley, as well as our good friends in Brudenow, Lindock, and Raglan Township. Today we've got a bit of a different show, not so much a show that leaves behind all those old, new, borrowed, and blue things we've been doing over the past four months, but rather a show, shall we say, all dressed up, as it were, in Christmas wrapping. Consider then our Christmas gift to you this holiday season, something we hope you will enjoy, and pass along to your friends. We'll be back in the new year with our usual show format, but we thought, wouldn't it be nice if we could find something old, new, borrowed and blue with Christmas written all over it? And so we did. First up, we definitely have something old. In fact, it's almost 200 years old and was written by Clement Clark Moore. He prepared it for his own children, and over the past 200 years, it's become a very famous poem, often recited publicly at Christmas. Though it was first published in 1823, it's still very popular today. You probably know it. If so, please feel free to read along with us. When it was first published, it was called A Visit from St. Nicholas, though most of you probably know it by its more recent title, Twas the Night Before Christmas. Here's James DeFiore to read it for us. Twas the night before Christmas, when all through the house, not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. The stockings were hung by the chimney with care, in hopes that St. Nicholas soon would be there. The children were nestled all snug in their beds, while visions of sugar plums danced in their heads. And Mama in her kerchief and I in my cap had just settled our brains for a long winter's nap. When out on the lawn there arose such a clatter, I sprang from my bed to see what was the matter. Away to the window I flew like a flash, tore open the shutters, and threw up the sash. The moon on the breast of the new-fallen snow gave a luster of midday to objects below. When what to my wondering eyes did appear but a miniature sleigh and eight tiny reindeer, with a little old driver so lively and quick, I knew in a moment he must be St. Nick. More rapid than eagles, his coursers they came, and he whistled and shouted and called them by name. Now Dasher, now Dancer, now Prancer and Vixen, on Comet, on Cupid, on Donner and Blitzen, to the top of the porch, to the top of the wall, now dash away, dash away, dash away all. As leaves that before the wild hurricane fly, when they meet with an obstacle, mount to the sky. So up the housetop, the coursers they flew, with the sleigh full of toys and St. Nicholas too. And then in a twinkling, I heard on the roof, the prancing and pawing of each little hoof. As I drew in my head and was turning around, down the chimney St. Nicholas came with a bound. He was dressed in all fur from his head to his foot, and his clothes were all tarnished with ashes and soot. A bundle of toys he had flung on his back, and he looked like a peddler, just opening his pack. His eyes, how they twinkled, his dimples, how merry. His cheeks were like roses, his nose like a cherry. His droll little mouth was drawn up like a bow, and his beard on his chin was as white as the snow. The stump of a pipe he held tight in his teeth, and the smoke it encircled his head like a wreath. He had a broad face and a little round belly that shook when he laughed like a bowl full of jelly. He was chubby and plump, a right jolly old elf, and I laughed when I saw him, in spite of myself. A wink of his eye and a twist of his head soon gave me to know I had nothing to dread. 
He spoke not a word, but went straight to his work, and filled all the stockings, then turned with a jerk. And laying his finger aside of his nose, and giving a nod up the chimney he rose, he sprang to his sleigh to his team gave a whistle, and away they all flew like the down of a thistle. But I heard him exclaim, ere he drove out of sight, Happy Christmas to all, and to all a good night. Who knew that was 200 years old? Next we have something new and very Christmassy, something to tickle your funny bone. Here's Julia Beggs with three little ditties that may be new to you, but they are all very much worth remembering to spread some good cheer this Christmas and for many Christmases to come. I made myself a snowball, as perfect as could be. I thought I'd keep it as a pet and I'd let it sleep with me. I made it some pajamas and a pillow for its head. Then last night it ran away, but first it wet the bed. That was Snowball written by Shel Silverstein, a very funny children's writer you might want to check out at our library. But here's two more poems, both written by somebody who simply signs themselves anonymous. The first one is called Chubby Snowman. A chubby little snowman had a carrot nose. Along came a bunny, and what do you suppose? That hungry little bunny, looking for someone's lunch, grabbed that snowman's nose, nibble, nibble, crunch. And here's a second one by Anonymous, and it's called The Funniest Face. The funniest face looked out at me from a silver ball on a Christmas tree. At first I thought it was Santa's elf, but looked again, and it was just myself. Thank you, Julia. Certainly, those comic poems will be new to many people, but something tells me they'll be old hat this time next year. Now for something borrowed. That's a wee bit more difficult, but we think we've figured it out. We go back to a mysterious writer who simply goes by the name Anonymous. He recently decided to make a parody of A Visit from St. Nick, that 200-year-old poem we've already heard. So here's Rob Filipkowski with a politically correct Christmas poem. "'Twas the night before Christmas, and Santa's a wreck. How to live in a world that's politically correct? His workers no longer would answer to elves. Vertically challenged, they were calling themselves and labor conditions at the North Pole were alleged by the Union to stifle the soul. Four reindeer had vanished without much propriety, released to the wilds by the Humane Society, and equal employment had made it quite clear that Santa had better not use just reindeer. So Dancer and Donner, Comet and Cupid, were replaced with four pigs, and you know, that looks stupid. The runners had been removed from his beautiful sleigh because the ruts were deemed dangerous by the E.P. and A. And millions of people were calling the cops when they heard sleigh noises upon their rooftops. Secondhand smoke from his pipe had his workers quite frightened. And his fur-trimmed red suit was called unenlightened. To show you the strangeness of today's ebbs and flows... Rudolph was suing over unauthorized use of his nose. He went to Geraldo, in front of the nation, demanding millions in overdue workers' compensation. So, half of the reindeer were gone, and his wife, who suddenly said she'd have enough of this life, joined a self-help group, packed and left in a whiz, demanding from now on that her title was Ms. And as for gifts... Why, he'd never had the notion that making a choice could cause such commotion. 
Nothing of leather, nothing of fur, which meant nothing for him and nothing for her. Nothing to aim, nothing to shoot, nothing that clamored or made lots of noise. Nothing for just girls and nothing for just boys. Nothing that claimed to be gender-specific. Nothing that's warlike or non-pacifistic. No candy or sweets. They were bad for the tooth. Nothing that seemed to embellish upon the truth. And fairy tales, while not yet forbidden, were like Ken and Barbie, better off hidden. For they raised the hackles of those psychological, who claimed the only good gift was one ecological. No baseball, no football. Someone might get hurt. Besides, playing sports exposed kids to dirt. Dolls were said to be sexist and should be passé, and Nintendo would rot your entire brain away. So Santa just stood there, disheveled and perplexed. He just couldn't figure out what to do next. He tried to be merry. He tried to be gay. But you have to admit, he was having a bad day. His sack was quite empty. It was flat on the ground. Nothing fully acceptable was anywhere to be found. Something special was needed. A gift that he might give to us all without angering left or right. A gift that would satisfy. With no indecision, each group of people in every religion, every race, every hue, everyone, everywhere, even you. So, here is that gift. It's price beyond worth. May you and your loved ones enjoy peace on earth. Hmm, now that's food for thought. Wonder if that one will be around in 200 years. Now for something blue. We didn't have to go very far into Andrew Lang's Blue Fairy Tale book to find a Christmas story. Here's Rob Filipkowski with Why the Sea is Salt, a Christmas fairy tale about being very careful about what you wish for, especially at Christmas time. Once upon a time, long, long ago, there were two brothers, the one rich and the other poor. When Christmas Eve came, the poor one had not a bite in the house, either of meat or bread, so he went to his brother and begged him, in God's name, to give him something for Christmas Day. It was by no means the first time that the brother had been forced to give something to him, and he was not better pleased at being asked now than he generally was. If you will do what I ask you, you shall have a whole ham, said he. The poor one immediately thanked him and promised this. Well, here is the ham, and now you must go straight to Dead Man's Hall, said the rich brother, throwing the ham to him. Well, I will do what I have promised, said the other, and he took the ham and set off. He went on and on for the live-long day, and at nightfall he came to a place where there was a bright light. I have no doubt this is the place, thought the man with the ham. An old man with a long white beard was standing in the shed, chopping yule logs. Good evening, said the man with the ham. Good evening to you. Where are you going at this late hour? said the man. I am going to Dead Man's Hall, if only I am on the right track, answered the poor man. Oh, yes, you are right enough, for it is here, said the old man. When you get inside, they will all want to buy your ham, for they don't get much meat to eat there, but you must not sell it, unless you can get the hand mill which stands behind the door for it. When you come out again, I will teach you how to stop the hand mill, which is useful for almost everything. So the man with the ham thanked the other for his good advice and rapped at the door. When he got in, everything happened just as the old man had said it would. All the people, great and small, came round him like ants on an anthill, and each tried to outbid the other for the ham. By rights, my old woman and I ought to have it for our Christmas dinner. But since you have set your hearts upon it, I must just give it up to you, said the man. But if I sell it, 
I will have the handmill which is standing there behind the door. At first they would not hear this, and haggled and bargained with the man, but he stuck to what he had said, and the people were forced to give him the handmill. When the man came out again into the yard, he asked the old woodcutter how he was to stop the handmill, and when he had learned that, he thanked him and set off home with all the speed he could, but did not get there until after the clock had struck twelve on Christmas Eve. "'Where in the world have you been?' said the old woman. "'Here I have sat waiting hour after hour, and have not even two sticks to lay across each other under the Christmas porridge pot. Oh, I could not come before. I had something of importance to see about, and a long way to go, too. But now you shall just see,' said the man." And then he set the handmill on the table, and bade it first grind light, then a tablecloth, and then meat, and beer, and everything else that was good for a Christmas Eve supper. And the mill ground all that he ordered. Bless me, said the old woman, as one thing after another appeared, and she wanted to know where her husband had got the mill from, but he would not tell her that. Never mind where I got it. You can see that it is a good one, and the water that turns it will never freeze, said the man. So he ground meat and drink and all kinds of good things to last all Christmas tide, and on the third day he invited his friends to come to a feast. Now, when the rich brother saw all that there was at the banquet and in the house, he was both vexed and angry, for he grudged everything his brother had. On Christmas Eve he was so poor that he came to me and begged for a trifle, for God's sake. And now he gives a feast as if he were both a count and a king, thought he. But for heaven's sake, tell me where you got your riches from, said he to his brother. From behind the door, said he who owned the mill. For he did not choose to satisfy his brother on that point. But later in the evening, when he had taken a drop too much, he could not refrain from telling him how he had come by the hand mill. There you see what has brought me all my wealth, said he, and brought out the mill and made it grind first one thing and then another. When the brother saw that, he insisted on having the mill, and after a great deal of persuasion, got it. But he had to give three hundred dollars for it, and the poor brother was to keep it till the haymaking was over, for he thought, If I keep it as long as that, I can make it grind meat and drink that will last many a long year. During that time, you may imagine that the mill did not grow rusty, and when harvest time came, the rich brother got it, but the other had taken good care not to teach him how to stop it. It was evening when the rich man got the mill home, and in the morning he bade the old woman go out and spread the hay after the mowers, and he would attend to the house himself that day, he said. So, when dinner time grew near, he set the mill on the kitchen table and said, Grind herrings in milk pottage, and do it both quickly and well. So the mill began to grind herrings and milk pottage, and first all the dishes and tubs were filled, and then it came out all over the kitchen floor. The man twisted and turned it and did all he could to make the mill stop, but howsoever he turned it and screwed it, the mill went on grinding, and in a short time the pottage rose so high that the man was like to be drowned. So he threw open the parlor door, but it was not long before the mill had ground the parlor full too and it was with difficulty and danger that the man could go through the stream of pottage and get hold of the door latch. When he got the door open, he did not stay long in the room, but ran out, and the herrings and pottage came after him, and it streamed out over both farm and field. Now the old woman, who was out spreading the hay, began to think dinner was long in coming, and said to the women and the mowers, Though the master does not call us home, we may as well go. It may be that he finds he is not good at making pottage, and I should do well to help him. 
So they began to straggle homeward, but when they had got a little way up the hill, they met the herrings and pottage and bread all pouring forth and winding about one over the other, and the man himself in front of the flood. Would to heaven that each of you had a hundred stomachs! Take care that you are not drowned in the pottage! he cried as he went by them, as if mischief were at his heels, down to where his brother dwelt. Then he begged him, for God's sake, to take the mill back again, and that in an instant, for, said he, if it grind one hour more, the whole district will be destroyed by herrings and pottage. But the brother would not take it until the other paid him three hundred dollars, and that he was obliged to do. Now the poor brother had both the money and the mill again, so it was not long before he had a farmhouse much finer than that in which his brother lived. But the mill ground him so much money that he covered it with plates of gold, and the farmhouse lay close by the seashore, so it shone and glittered far out to sea. Everyone who sailed by there now had to be put in to visit the rich man in the gold farmhouse, and everyone wanted to see the wonderful mill for the report of it spread far and wide, and there was no one who had not heard tell of it. After a long, long time came also a skipper who wished to see the mill. He asked if it could make salt. Yes, it could make salt, said he who owned it. And when the skipper heard that, he wished with all his might and main to have the mill, let it cost what it might, for he thought if he had it, he would get off having to sail far away over the perilous sea for freights of salt. At first the man would not hear of parting with it, but the skipper begged and prayed, and at last the man sold it to him, and got many, many thousand dollars for it. When the skipper had got the mill on his back, he did not stay there long, for he was so afraid that the man would change his mind, and he had no time to ask how he was to stop it grinding, but got on board his ship as fast as he could. When he had gone a little way out to sea, he took the mill on deck, "'Grind salt, and grind both quickly and well,' said the skipper. So the mill began to grind salt, till it spouted out like water, and when the skipper had got the ship filled, he wanted to stop the mill. But whichsoever way he turned it, and how much soever he tried, it went on grinding. And the heap of salt grew higher and higher, until at last the ship sank. There lies the mill, at the bottom of the sea, and still, day by day, it grinds on. And that is why the sea is salt. So there you have it. A very good reason to beware of what you wish for, especially at Christmas time. Unless, that is, it's something old, new, borrowed and blue, all wrapped up as a Christmas gift just for you. We hope you enjoyed our show, and we hope over the holidays you get more than your fair share of books to read and books read to you. And whether it's somebody reading a 200-year-old poem, making up a, their own parody of a Christmas classic, or listening to a Christmas fairy tale that you've never heard before, we want to wish you a very Merry Christmas and a very Happy New Year. So from all of us here, James DeFiore, Julia Beggs, Penny Shulist, Hayden Smith, Rob Filikowski, and me, Karen Filikowski, good tidings to you all and... To quote a 200-year-old line of great poetry, Merry Christmas to all and to all a good night.